Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast on the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 10th of December 2018 and this is episode 93. On today's programme, I talk to John Green about his great-grand-uncle Willie Redmond MP, the brother of Irish nationalist leader John Redmond MP. Willie was killed at the Battle of Messines in June 1917. I spoke to John from his home in the south of England. John, welcome to the podcast. Could you start by telling us about how you became interested in Willie Redmond and the Great War? I'm interested in Willie Redmond. He was my great-granduncle. His brother, John Redmond MP, the leader of the Irish Parliamentary Party in the House of Commons in 1914, was my great-grandfather. Growing up, myself and my sister were aware of John and Willie Redmond through our father and his twin brother, John Redmond's grandsons. We knew that Willie Redmond had been killed in the Great War and that he was buried in a place called Loka in Belgium. But in a pre-internet era, it was very difficult to find out any details. In 1973, we went on a trip to Europe and visited several Great War sites, including Verdun but we didn't know enough about where Willie was buried to visit his grave. In 1977, we received a large collection of papers relating to Willie Redmond that had been kept by his family in Ireland. These included many letters of condolence sent to his widow, Eleanor Redmond, and to his brother, John Redmond, and numerous books of press cuttings relating to his political career and to his death. Terry Denman, Willie's biographer, came to look at the papers while he was researching Willie's life, and many quotations from the letters are included in the book. A Lonely Grave, which came out in 1995. At that point, we could read about the details of Willie's life for the first time. As to the wider point of when I became interested in the Great War, my earliest recollections of writing John McRae's poem in Flanders Fields in my English exercise book when I was about 13, and of reading Leon Wolfe's book of the same name at about the same time. Since then, my house has slowly filled up with military history books. past 13 years or so, I've been the Secretary of the Surrey Branch of the Western Front Association, a regular visitor to the Western Front, and the taker of innumerable photos of French and Belgian fields. So, it leads us on to our first question, who was Willie Redmond? Willie Redmond was an Irish nationalist who devoted his life to Ireland. Both his parents were from prominent families in Ireland, but he was actually born in Liverpool, so he's really a scouser, just like me. After going to sea as an apprentice to a merchant seaman in a short period of military service in the Wexford Militia, he entered Parliament at the age of 22 as the member for Wexford Borough. This was the start of a 30-year career in Parliament, in which he talentedly campaigned for self-government through Ireland. He seemed to have been something of a firebrand in his youth. He was ejected from the Commons Chamber on several occasions, his intemperate language in promoting the Irish cause. He was jailed three times for his activities in support of the campaigns for land reform, spending his 21st birthday in Kilmainham Jail where he shared a cell with the great Irish leader, Charles Stuart Parnell. In 1888, both Willie and John spent time in Wexford jail. We've got the Petty Sessions Island summons for 1888, where Willie was charged with obstructing the bailiff of the sheriff of the county of Wexford in relation to an eviction of a tenant for not paying rent. In 1902, Willie spent Christmas in Kilmainham for a further offence. After this somewhat tempestuous start, Willie became one of the longest-serving members of the House of Commons, popular for his wit and respected by his colleagues and political opponents alike for his willingness to look for an inclusive solution to the Irish question. In November 1914, Willie volunteered to join the army. He was killed on the 7th of June 1917 at the start of the Battle of Messines. Most unusually, he's not buried in the Commonwealth War Graves Commission Cemetery, but in a plot marked by a private cross just outside Loka Hospice Cemetery near the village of Loka in Belgium. What was the background to Willie's decision to volunteer to serve in the British Army? His decision to serve was closely linked to the political situation in Ireland at the outbreak of the war. In August 
August 1914, there were three political movements in Ireland. Unionism, predominantly in the Protestant areas of Ulster, led by Sir Edward Carson. Militant Republicanism, consisting of groups like Sinn Féin and the Irish Republican Brotherhood, dedicated to the overthrow of British rule and the establishment of an independent republic. And finally, Constitutional Nationalism, represented by the Irish Parliamentary Party, the Party of Parnell, led in 1914 by John Redmond. Their MPs, including Willie Redmond, held a bounce of power at Westminster, and they forced Asquith's Liberal government to introduce a Home Rule Bill. This provided for a parliament in Dublin, a parliament for the whole of Ireland, that would have had powers over domestic legislation, similar to the current arrangement for Scottish devolution. The Home Rule Bill satisfied the majority of nationalist population in Ireland, but Unionists and militant Republicans were bitterly opposed. Unionists because it went too far, militant Republicans because it did not go far enough. As Home Rule threatened to become a reality, Unionist opposition hardened. In 1913, Carson formed the Ulster Volunteer Force, the UVF, to oppose Home Rule by all possible means. By mid-1914, the UVF had 85,000 members in a well-trained and well-armed force. In response, a rival nationalist force was formed. By mid-1914, the Irish National Volunteers had some 180,000 men, but they were not as well-armed, as well-trained or as united as the UVF. The membership was an uneasy mix of constitutional nationalists who supported John Redmond and militant Republicans who opposed both John Redmond and the UVF. In May 1914, the Home Rule Bill was passed in the House of Commons, and there was a real possibility of serious civil strife breaking out between the opposing armed groups in Ireland. However, war intervened, and Home Rule was suspended for the duration. At this point, the leaders of the opposing groups in Ireland had to decide how to respond to the outbreak of war. Sedgwick Carson responded by offering the services of the UVF, and with Kitchener's approval, they became the basis of the 36th Ulster Division. John Redmond responded by offering the services of the Irish National Volunteers in a speech at Woodenbridge in September 1914, following royal assent to the Home Rule Bill. This call immediately split the volunteers. The majority, loyal to John Redmond, formed the National Volunteers. Many answered his call to join up and became the basis of the 47th Brigade of the 16th Irish Division. The Republican minority left and formed their own militia, the Irish Volunteers, who went on to play a part in the 1916 Rising. The split created an atmosphere of uncertainty and confusion, and it's probably fair to say there was no great enthusiasm for the war. November 1914, Willie Redmond made a dramatic gesture. In the Imperial Hotel in Cork, before a gathering of the local national volunteers, he announced his intention to volunteer for service in France and Flanders, ending with the stirring words, Old as I am and grey as are my hairs, I will say, don't go, but come with me. He was 53 years old. He wrote to Lieutenant General Sir Lawrence Parson, commanding officer of the 16th Irish Division, asking for a commission. In February 1915, he was awarded the rank of temporary captain in the 6th Royal Irish Regiment, and he started training soon afterwards. So this leads me to the question, why did Willie Redmond join the army? I think there were several reasons. He wanted to support his brother's call for recruits, and he didn't want to ask men to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. With the Home Rule Bill passed, he wanted to show that Irishmen were willing to play their part in defending the empire. He believed in the rights of small nations, and he was outraged by the German invasion of Belgium. And finally, he had something of a military background. Many of, many of his ancestors had served in the army, and he had served as a lieutenant in the Wexford militia before entering Parliament. So tell me about his service during the Great War. After initial training in Ireland, the 16th Division crossed to England in September 1915 and went to France in December under a new Irish commanding officer, Major General William Hickey. On the 23rd of December 1915, the 6th Royal Irish, with Willie Redmond commanding B Company, entered the trenches near Loss for training under frontline conditions. In April 1916, the 6th Royal Irish were in reserve when the 16th Division was in the line of Tullock near Loss, when the Germans launched a large-scale gas attack. This was beaten back, 
Division suffered heavy casualties. In June 1916, he was invalided home, seriously ill. But by July, promoted to major, he returned to France for a position on the 16th Division staff. In September 1916, the 16th Division played a major part in the Somme campaign, capturing the villages of Guillemont and Ginchy. But Major General Hickey forbade him to go further forward than the Division's dressing station. In November 1916, he was mentioned in dispatches. We have a photo of Willie in uniform with his wife Eleanor, probably taken around March 1917. I think there's a sadness in their eyes in the photo, as if they realise they may not see each other again. In June 1917, the 16th Division took part in the Battle of Messines, fighting for the first time alongside the 36th Dalton Division. The two divisions captured all their objectives with minimal casualties by Great War standards. However, for the 16th, the success was marred by the death of Willie Redmond. What were the circumstances of Willie's death? Supported by the detonation of 19 mines, the British 2nd Army stormed and captured the high ground of the Messines Ridge, clearing the way for what became known as the Third Battle of Ypres, the intention of which was to capture... Passchendaele and rulers, and then advanced to the Belgian coast. The 16th Division assaulted the heavy, heavily defended village of Vetchkarta, fighting alongside the 36th. The two assault companies of the 6th Royal Irish were on the southernmost edge of the 16th Division area next to the 36th. Mendelstede Farm, the site of one of the 19 mines on the day, lay directly in front of them. Against his commanding officer's wishes, Willie Remond had insisted on taking part in the attack. At 3.10 in the morning of the 7th of June 1917, the mines exploded and the assault began. The 6th Royal Irish Regiment climbed out of their trenches and headed towards the smoking crater at Mendelstede Farm. Soon afterwards, Willie Remond was hit by shrapnel, being wounded in a forearm and a leg. He was found on the battlefield by Private John Meek of the 11th Royal Inniskillings, part of the 36th Division, who tried to carry him back. But Meek was hit himself, but remained with him until further help arrived. Meek was subsequently awarded the military medal for his gallantry. Willie was moved to the 36th Division dressing station at Janouta, where he died shortly afterwards. The war diary of the 108th Field Ambulance records his death. We have a letter in the Willie Redmond papers from a doctor in the Field Ambulance who states that while Willie's wounds were not serious, the shock proved too much for a man of 56. So what happened after his death? Late on the 7th of June, an ambulance from the 16th Division took his body to the convent at Loka, where it was laid out in the convent chapel. He was buried in the grounds of the convent the next day. Troops from the 36th and the 16th divisions provided a guard of honour, and officers from both divisions attended the ceremony. Willie Remmer's death had a huge impact at the time. His widow and brother received hundreds of messages of sympathy, including ones from the Pope, King George and Queen Mary, and Lloyd George. France awarded him a posthumous legion of honour, and his death was widely reported. We had two very large books of press cuttings about his death, from newspapers in Britain, in Ireland, and across the world. Given his hope that shared sacrifice in battle would bring nationalists and unionists together, he would have been especially pleased by the many letters of sympathy received from prominent unionists. Sir Edward Carson, in a letter to John Lemon, spoke, or wrote, I feel much sympathy with you at the loss of your brother William. His most active opponents always respected and liked him, and his courage and gallantry in joining the army at his age are beyond all praise and admiration. We will all miss him. For a moment, it seemed as if in death, Willie Remond had achieved his life's ambition of uniting Irishmen, Catholic and Protestant, nationalist and unionist. However, it was not to be. John Remond died in March 1918. Willie Remond's vacant seat in East Clare was won by M. de Valera of Sinn Féin, and the Irish Parliamentary Party was swept aside by Sinn Féin in the elections at the end of 1918. Home rule was abandoned. Partition and civil war followed, with consequences that are with us today, 100 years later. So why wasn't Willie's body moved to Commonwealth uh, Wargrave Cemetery after the war, as was the practice with most other soldiers who died? Eleanor Remond's widow visited the grave in 1919, when it was still in the convict grounds, I was concerned to find that his body was about to be moved to a Wargrave cemetery, so she mounted a successful campaign to prevent this. 
In a letter preserved in the Wargraves archives in Maidenhead, she stated that she wanted the body to be, quote, left where it is in the good care of the nuns. She gained the support of a range of dignitaries and the grave was untouched. She paid for a stone cross to be erected in the 1920s and it stands there to this day. The nuns moved out in 1958 and the grave gradually fell into disrepair. The Wargraves Commission decided that they had to act and in 1967 they sought permission of the family to move the body to the nearby local hospice cemetery. They wrote to the Royal Irish Regiment Old Comrades Association, who got in touch with my father and his brother, John Redmond's grandsons. I can clearly remember, some 50 years on, the discussion that we had at the time, and our unanimous agreement that the Wargraves Commission, with its promise of care in perpetuity, was the best guarantee that Willie Redmond's grave would be preserved. My father and my uncle gave permission for the body to be moved. However, local opinion in Belgium was strongly against the move, and objections were also received from Ireland. A commemoration of Willie's death was held on the 50th anniversary in 1967, attended by Belgian politicians and by several veterans of the 16th Division. In view of the opposition, the War Ghost Commission decided to postpone the removal of the body. It remains in the original grave to this day. About 20 years ago, agreement was reached for the War Ghost Commission to adopt the grave, and today they maintain it with the same dedication that they apply to all the graves in their care. So how do you feel about Willie Redmond being buried in a separate grave? I have rather mixed feelings about it. The fact that he's buried separately has undoubtedly helped to keep his memory alive, especially in the last 20 years or so, as the Irish contribution to the Great War has been more widely recognised. However, I have the greatest respect for the War Ghost Commission policy of treating all men equally in death. Willie Redmond had an inclusive vision for Ireland, an Ireland where the different traditions were reconciled, an Ireland with a settled and peaceful relationship with Britain. I don't believe he would have wanted to be buried separately from his fellow soldiers. I certainly don't believe he would, wanted, he would have wanted political points to be made about it. Unfortunately, many myths have grown up about his grave and they're still being repeated on the web and in print in particular. There is no evidence in the correspondence to the War Ghost archives in Maidenhead that his widow, Eleanor Redmond, had a political motive refusing permission for his body to be moved. William herself were devout Catholics, and she, she wished his body to be left where it is in the good care of the nuns. There is no evidence that he wished to be buried separately from the English soldiers as a protest against the British response to the 1916 Rising. Far from the family opposing a move, John Redmond's grandsons, my father and his twin brother, gave the Wargraves Commission permission to move his body in 1967. And finally, it's simply incorrect to say that he was buried in a Wargraves cemetery and then moved out at the request of the family. How have Willie Redmond and the Irish involvement in the Great War been remembered in recent times? In 1997, we were contacted by Erwin Uriel from Belgium who was organising a ceremony to mark the 80th anniversary of Willie's death. I travelled over with my sister, and when we arrived at the church in Loka at 2.30 in the morning, we were amazed to find some 300 people had assembled there to take part in a ceremony starting at 10 past 3 to mark the start of the battle and Willie Redmond's death. A walk to his grave followed, which was widely reported in the Belgian media. In the Irish Republic, the victors in the political struggle got to write the history books, and Irishmen fighting in the British Army were not part of the story they wanted to tell. The Southern Irish contribution was written out of Irish history and largely forgotten. This began to change in November the 11th, 1998, when the President of Ireland, Mary McAleese, took part in a ceremony with the Queen and with King Albert of Belgium to inaugurate the new Island of Ireland Peace Park in Messines. This was the first time in 80 years that the Irish state had taken an active part in a ceremony commemorating the Southern Irish soldiers who volunteered to fight on Britain's side. In 2005, the Memorial Museum in Zonnebecker held it exhibition to one of the Irishmen who fought in Flanders. Exhibits from the Royal Dublin Fusiliers Association and from the Royal Irish Fusiliers Museum in Armagh represented the contribution of Southern and Northern Irishmen respectively. A collection of exhibits relating to Willie Redmond formed part of the exhibition. In 2007, 
commemorating to be held to mark the 90th anniversary of the Battle of Messines. Mary McAleese again came to the Island of Ireland Peacemark and she later laid a wreath on the 16th Division Cross at Beach Carter. As part of the commemorations, memorials to the 16th and 36th Divisions were unveiled side by side on the road to Beach Carter, where they'd fought 90 years earlier. My sister and myself were invited to unveil the 16th Division Memorial. The 36th Division Memorial was unveiled by the relatives of John Meek, soldier who tried to rescue Willie when he was wounded. And the story of Redmond and Meek, the Catholic nationalist and the Protestant unionist, forms the centrepiece of the programme run by the Peace School in Messines and Derry to promote reconciliation between communities in Northern Ireland. In 2013, British Prime Minister David Cameron and Irish Taoiseach Ender Kenny visited Willie Redmond's grave. On his wreath, Ender Kenny wrote, to honour a soldier who lived and died for his beliefs and whose faith in the power of unity still resonates powerfully. In June 2017, as part of the commemorations for the centenary of the Battle of Messines, Ender Kenny and a delegation of Irish ministers and Irish Defence Forces personnel visited Willie Redmond's grave, and Willie was mentioned several times during the main commemoration at the Island of Ireland Peace Park. A new silhouette depicting John Meek carrying Willie Redmond off the battlefield was installed near the Commonwealth War Graves Cemetery in Vetchcarter, and an accompanying explanatory plaque was unveiled by my sister and myself and by relatives of John Meek in the presence of Prince William. Princess Astrid of Belgium and Ender Kenny. Also in June 1917, a seminar on Willie Redmond's life and a ceremony of commemoration were held in Wexford. In August 2017, a memorial stone and plaque was unveiled in Frasenburg to mark the second and last time the 16th and 36th Divisions fought side by side in the disastrous Battle of Langemark. So 100 years on, the contribution of all Irishmen from both North and South who fought in the Great War is finally being recognised. The story of Willie Redmond and John Meek is recognised as a powerful symbol of reconciliation between the traditions in Ireland. Finally, how do you think Willie Redmond should be remembered? I think Willie Redmond should be remembered as a man who dedicated his life to Ireland, a man who had the courage to volunteer for active service at the age of 53, a man who had an inclusive vision for an Ireland at peace with itself and at peace with Britain, a man who always did his best for Ireland. To finish, I'd like to acknowledge the books by Terry Denman, Tom Burke, Dermot Mulady and Ronan McGreevy, which have been the source of much of the information in this talk. I would also like to acknowledge the staff at the Commonwealth War Graves Archive in Maidenhead for access to the Willie Redmond papers held there. I have Willie Redmond's commemorative scroll. It says at the bottom, that those who come after see to it that his name be not forgotten. This podcast is my small contribution to making sure that Willie Redmond is still remembered. John, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.